Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, college football fans over the course of the last couple of years have kind of gotten used to a lot of change happening around the sport. I do think it's fair to ask when you see so many new things popping up, things being different than the way they used to be, and in some cases, traditions seeming to matter less than it once did. I think sometimes it's appropriate to ask, okay, are these changes for the better? Because oftentimes, change is not necessarily for the better. And things that kind of get embraced as sort of a new idea or a new wrinkle on an old thing or whatever else, after you kind of experience it for a little bit, you're like, I'm not actually quite so sure this is everything was cracked up to be. So college football fans who have loved their sport, and I'm certainly in that category, probably my favorite pastime of all in my entire life has been kind of following the twists and turns of not just Georgia football, but college football in general, that, that when you see all this new stuff popping up, transfer portal nil and uh, conference realignment expanded playoff all of the stuff that's coming up here i think a lot of fans are rightly asking are these changes for the better and in some cases maybe maybe it sort of seems like some of these aren't for the better and then if you point that out too much sometimes you're going to get accused of sort of being like the old man on the porch and a little too resistant to change and maybe that's fair maybe it's not but the point i'm getting to is is that while we've all maybe occasionally at times sort of bumped into a new thing in college football that we're not quite so sure is a change for the better, there are also moments in the sort of life year span of a college football fan where you can't help but notice that, hey, things right now for the average fan way better than they once were. And I think I have a couple of examples of this here over the course of the next few minutes. And a lot of this relates to What kind of turned out to be, I think, every bit of what it was supposed to be for Georgia in this very hyped recruiting weekend, kind of known as the scavenger hunt. And I hope you were following a lot of that on social media here this weekend. Obviously, our buddy Jeff Sintel had a couple of very interesting stories at dognation.com, which I hope you'll check out. And the basic, I think, idea around the scavenger hunt is to kind of gamify the visit experience of you bring a bunch of folks in and they do this scavenger hunt around campus. I guess the ultimate goal, sort of the final boss of the game, if you will, is to kind of find Kirby Smart, find Coach Smart. You'll see that hashtag tag using around social media and you see a lot of these pictures being shown and it's always you know uh, really fun to see the way in which so many of these Georgia recruits and their families are having a good time with this and I think it kind of speaks to what Georgia does so well from a recruiting standpoint that listen you can have a great NIL package and you can have you know a great pipeline to the NFL you can have all that kind of stuff but there is still an element of the recruiting business that's about establishing relationships and just being able as a coach to be a genuine dude around a player, around that player's family, and kind of put across in an authentic way, you can trust your son with me for the next three to four years. This is going to be a good experience for your family to be a part of this, and I don't have a hard time interacting with you. I'm not standoffish. I'm not you know, someone who, who doesn't know how to be around other people. I'm comfortable on my own skin. And we see a lot of photographic evidence around this kind of stuff that just sort of suggests that Georgia is just kind of good at that sort of thing. More on that coming up in a moment. I'll also take another moment here to say that for a lot of Georgia fans, when you see one of these great recruiting weekends, a lot of Georgia fans are like, okay, when's it going to start bearing fruit? You know, who's the next commit? Who's going to do this? And who's going to respond to all the stuff they saw over the course of the weekend? Well, we already have some evidence that the recruiting machine, the wheels are turning towards uh, some commitments. In fact, we got one over the course of the weekend. Let's make sure we point this out from Georgia's standpoint that Drew Miller, elite punter, has committed to UGA. He says 100% committed, staying a Bulldog at Georgia Football Go Dogs. And I have to say, this is probably the best, most aggressive edit I've ever seen for a punter before in my life so uh, that's kind of a nice thing to be able to see there uh, certainly celebrating and enjoying the good stuff going on and always need to have a, a good punter even if you hope that the punter isn't used very much obviously Brett Thorson joked about that a lot last year even if you don't use the punter very much important to have a good one sounds like Georgia's future at that spot is uh, pretty secure so good news there on that but to sort of pivot back to what I was talking about a moment ago one of the things that I think is so cool for fans right now and this is the kind of thing that did not used to exist, you know, pre-social media, pre-internet age, in which we live right now. We are just invited to be a part of these weekends in a way that did not used to be the case. And you can probably cite lots of examples of how social media has ruined this and it's done this, whatever else. And you can be negative about that if you want to. Maybe I might join you from time to time on certain things. 
but you can't help but deny that the presence of social media and the willingness of these players to sort of put photos out on social media gives us a chance to be flies on the wall for all of this recruiting stuff in a way in the past we would only had to kind of dream about it conjure up in our minds exactly what this looks like well now with social media we're able to see a lot more of this and as i said you can see you know the 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 players and their families kind of congregating around Kirby Smart when they find him. You know, Todd Hartley had a, a funny joke on social media about the fact that the tight ends, I guess, have won this scavenger hunt the last couple of years. And this year, he said that Kirby Smart had an agenda to make sure the tight ends didn't win. Glenn Schumann was kind of joking about that same kind of thing. And these are all things because of social media that we get a chance to be a part of that we just not would not have been able to see in the past. It sort of felt like this big recruiting event this weekend, we were sort of a part of all of that. And uh, even with when it comes to probably the signature moment of this scavenger hunt this weekend, the fact that the five-star wide receiver, really one of the best players in the entire country, regardless of position, uh, Jeremiah Smith was taking his official visit to Georgia. Once again, we saw lots of evidence of Smith there in Athens. Jeff had a great story about this at dognation.com, about some interaction he was having with Dylan Riola, some photos. In fact, let me show you one of these for those of you watching on video. Uh, you probably wondered how good uh, Jeremiah Smith would look in a UGA uniform, and I think you get some evidence there that he looks every bit as good as you might think that he would. Also, when you look at the backdrop that George is using for some of these recruiting photos, you know the idea that they're selling back-to-back national champions and all the great things happening at Georgia right now. Really kind of recruiting a guy like Jeremiah Smith from a position of strength. Everything we're led to believe, like most visits do, this one for Smith went well. Being the kind of elite five-star prospect that he is, he is probably also going to keep his cards pretty close to the vest on this. We have never sugarcoated it that pulling a player like this away from an Ohio State not an easy thing to do because of the success they've had with the wide receiver position but in life you take your cuts you take your shot you take your chance and in the case of George with Jeremiah Smith that appears to be exactly what they have done but ultimately Smith's presence on campus actually kind of resulted in something else that was even more interesting I would say unexpected and kind of an example once again of a way in which college football might be, in some respects, changing for the better here. Let me show you another story that Jeff Sintel had up at dognation.com. Headline, watch five-star quarterback Dylan Riola organize throwing session for key Georgia football recruits. And in that story, I'll give you a little bit of Jeff kind of explaining exactly how all this sort of played out. A lot of you saw some of the video stuff this weekend of that. Jeff and his story there at dognation.com sort of wrote this up this way, that what evolved over the weekend was Dylan Riola deciding that the dogs needed to pay a visit to a nearby five-star linebacker target, Sammy Brown, at Jefferson High School. That meant when they got there to Jefferson and in Jeff's store, there's all kinds of video of this going down. So if you have not seen this, you need to go to dognation.com and check all this out. There at Jefferson High School, the uh, school obviously that Sammy Brown calls home, some early morning throwing work with Sammy Brown, the five-star junior unofficial visitor, Ryan Williams, who's currently in Alabama, committing a very intriguing prospect, and a couple of his other future targets, you know, such as potentially Jeremiah Smith. I know that Scovey White was there, Nye Carr was there, and you had kind of all this going on. And to me, this is just an awesome development. And I'll tell you what I kind of take from all of this, and you can go to dognation.com, read Jeff's story, see all the video inside the story, and really get a, a sense for exactly what this was. Let me tell you what I think I see emerging here, and you tell me if you agree with this. We obviously live in an age right now where college football has kind of evolved to be unquestionably a business. And some people say that is a good thing, and some people sort of say that is a bad thing. You know, depending on where you, you know, your perspective and all this, you might you view that a little bit different. But we have seen all pretense sort of cast aside that college football is ultimately a competition for financial resources. The players get a chance to cash in on that now because of NIL programs have openly acknowledged they're going to make the decisions for them and for their conference that put the most money in the coffers no one's pretending anymore this is obviously a business and in some respects some college football fans don't always love that because that's not quite the way they think of college football even if it's true they don't always love the way in which that's openly acknowledged now but let me tell you what I think is kind of an interesting maybe unintended consequence or sort of latent benefit to all of this I think you see it playing out here this weekend that with the cat being out of the bag and the pretense being dropped that, yes, this is now a business, the recruiting aspect of this is now obviously a business there as well. I think what you see in response from some players, Dylan Riola may be the best example of this, is sort of a business-like approach to them, by, or I should say from them, to the recruiting process. Now, I think that's really interesting. 
And Ryle is the perfect example of this. There was very little pretense. There was very little theatric. There was very little pomp and circumstance about his UGA commitment. He essentially operated as a member of Georgia's 2024 recruiting class well before he ever went public with his commitment. And ultimately, when he dropped the commitment, it was basically just a nice, pretty edit of himself wearing the Georgia uniform. I am committed. There is no game to this. There is no showmanship to this. This was a very businesslike procedure. And here on this particular weekend where he comes into Athens, all the way from Arizona, by the way, on an unofficial visit, you know, essentially traveling on his own dime to get to uh, Georgia here this weekend. Once again, to be here and help, you know, impress recruits that he hopes joining him in Georgia, you know, this wasn't about the the glitz, the glamour and the, you know, the nice steak dinner or whatever else you do for a lot of these recruits. This was, hey, let's go a couple miles down the road. Let's go visit Sammy Brown at Jefferson High School and let's go have a throwing session. Let's do some football work. And I got to tell you, this is the kind of thing that I hope that fans are noticing here, because not only does this sort of speak to good things about Georgia football, but I think it sort of speaks to a very interesting direction that the sport is heading when all of a sudden now you've got the nation's number one recruit, Dylan Riola, who could choose to be as showy and as theatrical as he wanted to be. And instead, it seems like this young man wants to be about football. His commitment was very businesslike. His operation as officially a Georgia commit for the unofficial visit at Georgia this weekend, once again, kind of businesslike. And hey, let's, we're football players. Let's get together and play some football. Let's get off campus. Let's go over here to Jefferson High School. Let's hang out with Sammy Brown, who's obviously a uh, recruit of note on the other side of the ball. And let's do all of this as football players would do. It is just kind of a very matter of fact, businesslike approach right now. And I got to tell you, I think it ought to make you excited about the future, not just excited about the, the future of Georgia football, but college football in general, because it seems like this current crop of recruits really kind of has their heads screwed on pretty straight here. And they understand, you know, to use a phrase that smarts use in the past, they understand how to keep the main thing, the main thing. So once again, if you have not seen the story of dognation.com, you ought to go out of your way to see it. Jeff Sintel highlighting what happened at Jefferson High School, kind of an impromptu sort of, hey, out of nowhere, let's get together, let's go have this throwing session, let's work together, let's see some Georgia commits like Nikar and Scovey White, let's see guys who might be coming to Georgia, all of this organized by Dylan Riola. I think it kind of puts some emphasis on exactly why Riola's name has had so much hype connected to it uh, since it was even thought that he was likely going to end up at UGA. It's not about showmanship, and it's not about glitz and glamour. It's about honest-to-goodness, hard-nosed football. A quarterback who wants to be a leader for a future Georgia football team already proving himself to be a leader of this 2024 recruiting class. We saw evidence of that this weekend, and for Georgia fans, i got to tell you, that is a very good thing. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and glad to have you with us for it. We're live on video 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. A little extra content we give out for those who join us on our own platform every day, and so thankful for those that do that. Then we roll it out across all video platforms everywhere else, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We have a great time doing that. Of course, we're on the radio each and every day on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And we are available as a podcast, too. The Apple Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Lots of ways to connect with us. And we're just glad you picked one of them and choose to do it. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible there as well. Energy-efficient windows and doors. I was thinking about my windows and doors, I guess it was Saturday evening, because it came up a big-time rainstorm there in my house. Big rain, wind blowing, all that kind of stuff. And it's moments like that where you're like, I hope that outside stuff stays on the outside. I don't want that water creeping in, you know, that kind of, you know, like windy, breezy stuff sort of creeping in, creating that draft. Even in the summertime, you still don't want that. And that's what really well-sealed, really well-made windows and doors can help prevent from you, for you. Plus, they also make your house look better on the outside. And that's really what Pella Window and Door of George is all about. You know, it's survey after survey in our market year after year. Pella is really recognized as the brand leader. They are truly viewed to be the best. And if you've heard me say that, but you maybe haven't had a chance to experience it for yourself as of yet, I'm telling you, you need to do your own research on this. And you need to go to uh, the Pella showroom right there in Duluth. They call it the Experience Center. And you can kind of see the, the warehouse element there. You can kind of put your hand on the product. You can feel what makes it different. I'm the kind of guy like sort of put my hands on something and just get the sense of all of that. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is uh, all about. Better windows, better doors, feel good on the inside, look good on the outside. Also great savings there as well. And by the way, I am reminded, and somebody brought this up the other day. So last week, we we're talking about a, a, a Pella deal. 
and you know would uh, Dylan Ryla commit before the uh, particular deal expired? Well, guess what? He did. He actually committed shortly after we uh, talked about Palo Endo and Door of Georgia on this show last week. That's awesome. And what's also awesome today is we have a brand new deal to tell you about from our friends at Palo Endo and Door of Georgia. How about this? This is a good one, y'all. 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for the next 24 months. And that's a limited time offer. Uh, in fact, that ends today. So make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, sale ends today. They're on that. 10% off your entire project, 0% APR for 24 months, ending today, final day on that uh, offer. So make sure you check all of that out. So give them a call, 678-638-1429. That is 678-638-1429. Or visit them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Just make sure you tell them the BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I truly know that they will all right we're gonna get john stinchcomb coming up in a moment a lot to talk to john about prior to that though i want to go around the doghouse here today and this was a pretty busy weekend for me it's my daughter's birthday we were pretty wrapped up in all that you know it's like these birthdays when you're kids it's sort of like the royal coronation in england where it's like several days worth of stuff lots of outfit changes there's just a lot going on related to a lot of this kind of stuff so i was kind of unplugged for most of the weekend but I did notice, I believe it was mostly yesterday, a lot of Georgia fans reacting to something that was said on one of the bar stool shows called Unnecessary Roughness. Brandon Walker, a guy that uh, years ago we used to work together a little bit, so I know Brandon a little bit. Um, and he was talking about Sanford Stadium. And this got a lot of reaction from Georgia fans. And I would say that, you know, we're kind of a show uh, for the fans. And so anytime this many Georgia fans are talking about any one thing, sort of feel like we need to probably. Uh, at least take a minute or two to sort of have some fun with it because I think there is one very important takeaway from Georgia fans on this particular topic. Now, the genesis of this is the idea in the minds of uh, Brandon Walker and the other person he was talking with here on this particular Barstool show that Sanford Stadium as an intense atmosphere on college game days is overrated. Let me let you hear uh, Walker and his colleague in their own words, and we'll talk about this here coming up in just a little bit. Here is uh, Brandon Walker from Barstool. Georgia fans are not satisfied having the best coaches, the best players. They're not satisfied winning national titles. They also are now doing this movement where Sanford Stadium is the best stadium in the Brandon, country. Have you seen they're that? They're not just now doing it. To not forget that of all the takes that I had last year, and I went it with so many different fan bases, the Georgia fans were so mad at me about saying that Stanford Stadium is not the loudest stadium and that home field advantage there is not near as big as other places. They keep saying that Georgia's Sanford Stadium is better than Tiger Stadium. No, it's not No, close. it's not, and that's not, and Georgia fans, listen loud and clear, that is not an insult. Sanford Stadium is not a top five stadium in the Southeastern Conference. No, it's it's not. just not. It's, it's behind not. LSU. It's behind Tennessee. It's behind Auburn. It's behind AM. It's behind the swamp. Like it's behind those comfortably. So to me, there are two important takeaways here. And one of these is is what the Barstool folks are saying there is just patently wrong. And like I'm not sitting up in New Jersey talking about this kind of stuff. I'm actually going to these SEC stadiums. What I can tell you is having been at Tiger Stadium a few years ago, and admittedly this is 2018, this is a little while ago. But, you know, there are about 20,000 Georgia fans there that day. And I remember asking, like, a, what looked to be a pretty plugged in LSU guy. I remember asking him, hey, is this the most visiting fans you've ever seen in the stadium before? And what he said back to me, I'll never forget this. He said, this is the most LSU fans I've seen in the stadium in quite some time. In other words, you know, for all the reputation the Tiger Stadium has is this house of horrors, you don't want to play there at night and things like that. The truth is, for a good while, especially pre Joe Burrow, and this is kind of right as Joe Burrow is just kind of getting going. For a while there, Tiger Stadium wasn't always living up to its reputation as a big-time venue in the SEC. And don't even get me started on Texas A&M. Kyle Field's obviously very big. It's typically full, but it's also not exactly known as a house of horrors. The record for A&M and big games played at uh, College Station, I think, tells you everything you need to know about that. Conversely, I'll be more than happy to acknowledge something. There may have been a time at some point in the past in which Sanford Stadium maybe wasn't as intense of an on-campus atmosphere as it probably should have been we would all acknowledge that the stuff that goes on outside the stadium at UGA games is really enticing it's a great tailgate environment it's sort of a pretty pristine type place to visit and I've said before that there was an element of some uh uh you know Georgia games that almost kind of remind me a little bit of what Wrigley Field might have been in Chicago where the action around the stadium is so great that sometimes maybe it took the spotlight on, on what was happening in the stadium. There may be a 
time, early 2000s, late 90s, in which that was kind of true, that students and, you know, uh, you know, recent graduates, you know, the kind of people who sort of make the stadium atmosphere as loud as it can possibly be, maybe they were more interested in the tailgate scene than they were in creating the, the kind of intense atmosphere that's necessary there in San Francisco. And that may have been true at some point in time in the past, but it's not true anymore. And people can cite blackout game against Auburn in 2007, or they may mention the LSU game in 2013. I think the game that never quite gets enough credit for kind of the turning of the tide uh, uh, for Sanford Stadium as an intense venue, go back to 2004 when LSU, defending national champion, still coached by Nick Saban, came into Sanford Stadium there that day. At that time, I thought that was the best atmosphere the stadium had ever had, and future games only sort of built on that and kind of showed you what was possible in terms of the Georgia students and the Georgia fans creating a great atmosphere for UGA. But, you know, whatever may have occurred in kind of the mid-2000s to kind of set the stage for where we are now, the truth is now is that Georgia isn't just a good atmosphere. Georgia is an elite atmosphere. And you can cite all you want about last year's Tennessee game and the fact that the Georgia fans essentially took that stadium over and made Tennessee, you know, know it had zero chance of winning that day. You can also go back to 2021, a moment in this era of back-to-back national championships for Georgia that does not get enough credit is is that Georgia got stuck un totally unbecoming but got stuck having to play Arkansas biggest home game of the year at noon I remember the dejection the disappointment that Georgia fans had about the fact that this was in 2021 the big home game of the year for Georgia and yet ultimately it's taking place at noon and the fear was well the students are going to get there and yeah game day is there and they're going to do this kind of cool setup with part of the show taking place inside the stadium but the noon crowd or the noon start time was going to take the juice out of the crowd but the exact opposite thing ultimately ended up happening and I think it's ultimately credited with being probably the loudest noon crowd of any game ever in fact to give you some evidence of this now this is not super easy to hear because frankly the crowd's just being so loud but Holly Rowe from ESPN on television that day talking about just how impactful the crowd was especially on the Dan Jackson block punt the Zamir White recovery for a touchdown it's hard to hear Holly this is pulled off a television but but this is her talking about just how loud that Georgia crowd was against Arkansas in 2021 the type of game that sort of national folks have no knowledge of whatsoever but the kind of game which all of us will remember Georgia fans showing just how impactful they could be this is Holly Rowe So what Holly Rowe saying there is, is that Sanford Stadium that particular day was way louder than the wideout at Penn State had been what a week or two prior to that, as measured by the decibel reading, basically as loud as what she's like a New York City subway or whatever it was that, that she said there in terms of how loud all that was. In fact, it wasn't just Holly Rowe who was saying stuff like that. At the uh, end of the game there that day, Kirby Smart gave a very specific uh, you know credit to Georgia fans for exactly what they had done against Arkansas that particular Saturday, letting the Hawks know they had no chance of winning the game. This what Kirby Smart said when it's all said and done. I think all you guys would admit um, they were elite and we noticed it. And to come out there in warm ups and uh, coming out of the tunnel to look up there and see every seat full at a noon kick, um, it's special, special to be at Georgia and they impacted the game. I thought the first series for Arkansas on offense, uh, our crowd was extremely disruptive. I thought our crowd impacted the block punt in terms of cadence and things like that, which forced a touchdown. So I give the, the, uh, our, our, our crowds, our fans, at least 10 points, and that's big. Kirby's obviously right about that. We would all agree the crowd for the game against Tennessee this past November was even better. But ultimately, this is the reason why I say all of this. And if you're a UGA fan, you should lean in on this and, start, and, and try to appreciate this. If you're trying to do a college football show, Georgia has achieved the kind of status you have to have an opinion about UGA. You have to have a strong take. You have to have a bold opinion. You got to be talking about UGA on a show like this, you know, Barstool, whatever else. You get you. You have to be. T- if you're talking college football, you have to be talking UGA because Georgia has won the last two national championships. But because Georgia is so dominant on the field. There is very little you can say about the dogs on the field. In fact, I think it's going to be tomorrow's show. I've got some evidence of this about how 
you know, even like anonymous sources now have sort of given up on trying to nitpick Georgia on anything. We've got some new evidence of that. I think I'm going to share with you tomorrow. There is just nothing you can say about Georgia on the field. They have won a national championship now about every different way a national championship can be won. And they've won football games along the way there about as many different ways as they can be won. And they've vanquished every possible you know foe in their wake as they've done so. Georgia has rendered the conversation about it on the field essentially moved. It's meaningless. There is no take about Georgia on the field. It's simply a matter of how dominant they want to be. So since you have to have an opinion about Georgia, and Georgia doesn't give any fodder for conversation about the action on the field because the program's just become so dominant, well, you got to find something to talk about. And so now it's Georgia fans who are picked on. It's, you know, Brandon Walker doing this on Barstool here. It's, uh, what's his name, the Tennessee quarterback Eric Ainge, part of that uh, game against the Vols last year. you got to grab hold of something to have a hot take on because the dogs on the field don't give you any fodder for that whatsoever. So if you're a Georgia fan, hey, I feel kind of good to know that the team on the field is so dominant that no one can say anything about what happens between the white lines, but now they've sort of turned their attention on you instead. And by the way, this also sort of circles back to something we talk about quite a bit around here. The notion that even with Georgia having the success that it's had, even with Georgia fans creating the kind of atmosphere they've created over the course of the last few years there as well, it sort of seems like the bulletin board material never quite goes away. And for Georgia fans who I think last year kind of enjoyed having a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, that chip can kind of remain here to go for three and 23 there as well. If you're a UGA fan, I think the idea that's pretty fun. So that is around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Before we are done on today's program, a uh, UGA uh, sports team had a very successful weekend. We'll give them a, a shout out of which they are richly deserving. And then we'll look ahead to the rest of the spring landscape here as the uh, Georgia seasons start to kind of move to their most important phase. We'll do all of that here coming up in just a little bit. But prior to that, we have not heard yet from our buddy John Stinchcomb, the former UGA All-American, about what he thinks about the Dylan Riola commitment, the aftermath of all of that, and exactly what kind of atmosphere is created between the hedges these days. Let's do all of that with John Stinchcomb right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let me say hello to John Stinchcomb here. Always great to have him as a part of our program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. John, before you join us, we're talking a little bit about uh, UGA fans, the atmosphere around Sanford Stadium. You know, I'll fully acknowledge that you may go back to a time mid-late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, in which... I don't know that Sanford Stadium was always as intense as it could have been, you know, in terms of great atmosphere and making things really hard on the opponents, things like that. There may have been a time in the past when that was kind of somewhat true. I can give my reasons for why that might be. But whatever was true of the past, I think you have to acknowledge in the present. If you're actually attending these games, if you're actually doing this kind of thing, I think you have to see Sanford Stadium with, for what it is right now, a total house of horrors for Tennessee this past year. Arkansas, you know, want to go back to 2021, even though it was a noon start, that when the games have been at their biggest, the Georgia fans, I believe, have been as good as any fans anywhere, certainly in the SEC. And I do think that it's probably appropriate that Georgia fans start getting more credit for the kind of atmosphere they create inside Sanford Stadium. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think there is a a big difference to Sanford Stadium today and, and yesteryear, and a lot has to do with you know, the quality of product that's being put out there. But I think it's uh, to the fans' credit. I think uh, as, as the team's gotten better and, and consistently performed on Saturday, that the fans have matched that intensity, and Sanford Stadium has become one of the hardest places to play across the SEC. That statement could not be made with a straight face a few years ago. I think uh, anybody would attest there is – much more um, intense atmospheres that you can go to that fans or teams would be more impacted by the fans than in Sanford Stadium. And to Georgia's testament, it's become one of the hardest places to play across the country. Here's the other thing, too, and I don't want to get too far off the subject here, but I think this kind of ties into something else that I feel like I noticed. And you've grown up in this area. You know, there was a time, John, when we were growing up, that maybe Atlanta was sort of considered in the eyes of some sort of a bad sports town. You've kind of heard that, you know, sort of talked about before, you know, not selling out this or not, you know, whatever that. And, you know, this kind of comes up sometimes in the playoffs, things like that. 
listen, when I was growing up, maybe there were times when Atlanta did sort of feel like uh, a subpar sports town compared to so-and-so city that supposedly cared more about this than maybe we did. But I got to tell you, not only has the Georgia atmosphere, I believe, improved in recent years, I mean, I think Atlanta's standing as a sports town has kind of changed there, too. I think the building of the Battering around Truist Park has completely galvanized this city. I don't follow the NBA like I once did, but, you know, the Hawks sold out almost every single game this year. You know, you can kind of point to a lot of different examples here where just the whole vibe of sports in Georgia, Atlanta area, Athens here, I think the whole vibe has just sort of changed. And it might be interesting to kind of talk about why that is necessarily, but um, but. I think the results are to speak for themselves of, hey, within the last kind of 10-ish years, you know, at Atlanta, Georgia, you know, the, the the vibe here from a sports standpoint, I think it's way different than it was when you and I were growing up. It's just gotten far more intense, I believe. Yeah, and it certainly is true for the Braves. I think Hawks are, are right there with them. If there's one outlier, I think it's the Falcons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been to a couple of games there, and primarily when they play New Orleans, let's be sure, honest. Sure, sure, sure. And um, it's it's not keeping pace with what's happening for the Braves and the Hawks and obviously Georgia. And, you know, I don't know why that is. I, I can speculate for a couple different ways. But I do think that Georgia across the board, Atlanta and Athens in particular, has become one of those cities that, that used to be the outlier. You, you look at it and you go, why don't they have the presence in, in sports that they should? And now they do. I think the, the Atlanta professional teams, as well as Georgia, um, the atmospheres that have been created have drawn fans and makes it a, a really cool sports venue uh, for all those teams. I guess uh, one final thing for me on this, and we'll change the subject and talk about uh, something different here, is I think Georgia fans last year, I think the Georgia team may be even there as well, I think they sort of enjoyed having a little bit of an edge to them. In other words, that, that I mean, Nolan Smith has joked about this, and I think he's not even joking. I think he's being serious. They wanted to conjure up doubt. They wanted to conjure up haters. And they liked the idea of trying to vanquish critics. I think Georgia fans certainly felt that way going into the Tennessee game last year where they were being told that, you know, they weren't capable of creating sort of an intense atmosphere. So to the extent that sort of stuff still lives in the atmosphere around this Georgia program, I think that's a pretty comfortable scenario for UGA, you know, the UGA team and its fans. I think they sort of like the idea of shutting people up or going out there and kind of fighting against these imagined foes more so than Georgia won the last two national championships. It's simply a matter of continuing that coronation. How many more can they win and getting rose petals thrown at your feet? For whatever reason, Georgia seems to reject that, and they like the idea of, well, so-and-so hates us, or so-and-so doesn't think we're very good, or so-and-so said this. There seems to be a little bit of energy that still comes out of the idea of this program having some critics, which I think could still be in play in 2023, even after what happened in 2021 and 2022. Everybody, every team across the board is looking for that mental – uh, edge, if you will. You listen to the Denver Nuggets coach this week talking yeah. about how they weren't getting the credit that due them and that the national narrative was more about the Lakers. You're looking for motivation. You're looking for something for your players to keep that focus on uh, having the edge, having that hunger that's mandated by your high-level performing teams. And uh, in, in years past, it was pretty easy to try to stoke those flames. And when you find success, and, and as other teams have proven, uh, you're always looking for other ways to make sure that you don't lose that edge that got you there and that you maintain that hunger. And uh, one of those motivators is that underdog piece where you're not getting the credit that's deserved, you haven't arrived yet, all those things that, that you see time and time again across all sports uh, platforms that tries to get guys as sharp as they possibly can be. And one of the best motivators is we're not getting the respect that w that we should, and so we need to go prove why they're wrong. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a drum that's been beaten since the beginning of time, and it's not stopping any.
time soon. Uh, it occurred to me this morning that we haven't heard from you on Dylan Riola. I think we may have talked about Riola, but now mm. it's an official commitment thing because I guess he announced his pledge shortly after you and I finished talking all last week. So <laughs> now that it's you know kind of you know hazing the barn here on this, uh, what does it mean for Georgia to have a quarterback the caliber of Dylan Riola? officially pledged this class of 2024 and the magnetism he seemingly is already showing as a, a UGA commit here. What does this mean to you, John? It's pretty funny. I mean, we had just gotten yeah. done saying it's going to be on his timetable. That's right. And uh, uh, it's not dictated by others. And an hour or so later, he's, he's committed. And what I think is great is, one, you get such a high-caliber quality player. But what we were really talking about is – his Pied Piper role, that the fact that when you get a commitment of uh, such a impact player that is nationally recognized, there are other players that want to participate and join in what the future might hold uh, for a team that's led by a guy like Rayola. And I think it's exciting, one, just so you get such a high-caliber player, but two, all the players that will follow uh, follow him, and, and Georgia has not struggled in recruiting in, in recent years, but um, I do think that there's a, a difference that can be made when, one, it's a quarterback, and two, it's it's one of the most nationally known players, similar to what, um, you know, there's similarities to the Arch Manning recruitment, but I think with this, uh, this early commitment, and I would even venture to say um, his willingness to engage more with uh, the recruitment and uh, social media aspect of, of having other people join him uh, in Athens is only going to bode well for Georgia as they go through this uh, recruiting season because that is a huge pickup. No, I think that's exactly right. When you look at the weekend that was, one of the things you see, Jeff Sintel's got a great story about this, dognation.com, of kind of the impromptu throwing session that takes place at Jefferson High School, which, as you know, just down the road on uh, Athens Highway from, uh, from, from the University of Georgia campus. And, you know, John, what I find remarkable about this is, is to me it sort of speaks to kind of a nuts and bolts, you know, kind of, you know, you know, meat and potatoes, whatever, whatever, like phrase you want to use here. Mm-hmm. This is not glitz and glamour. This is not, hey, what kind of steak and lobster dinner can you take me out to, or you know, how many you know fun things can we get to do? This is not the glamorous life of a recruit. This is the kind of intense life of a football player. That Riola, I think, based on what you see this weekend, sees himself as a football player, and he sees the guys that came in as obviously recruits that need to be impressed. But ultimately, they're football players that he wants to play with, and so football players play football. They go out to Bu- uh, to, to Jefferson and they play some football. And to me, it just sort of speaks to what I th- think you can't help but say is a little bit more business like approach. And I don't know if this is these players in particular or just an example of the recruiting process sort of changing it just seems like there's less theatrics in this year's recruiting class than i'm used to seeing in the past because these guys are more about all right let's get to it i mean rylo did not have any theatrics about his commitment whatsoever was fine letting people kind of have it be known that he was considering going to georgia then he just sort of dropped the tweet that he is going to georgia and now as a georgia commit you know, he's not out there you know whining and dining uh these these recruits he's working with them they're doing football stuff and i think for a lot of georgia fans i think they probably do notice this and i think they probably find that you know pretty appealing because it seems like you know these guys are, are just pretty focused head head screwed on very straight about exactly what they want their football futures to be well your your old school ways and colors are showing ba I guess so. because you know i mean it, it, that is i think it's a welcome breath of fresh air for uh, us old heads who who kind of keep the priorities where they should be and the game itself and this next generation at times does a good job of balancing the uh, exterior, the, the tertiary opportunities and uh, experiences that can be had through social media and the engagement, and the, the dramatics that can surround it. Um, and what we've seen is a, a, an ability to profit off of some of those things. But the main thing has to say the main thing, and that's being, uh, for, for these student athletes, the athletic parts of it and, and making sure that fo- football stays in the focus. And I think it's refreshing to see guys that uh, recognize and, and keep that a priority, and I think that's the, the angle that you're taking, and I'm right there with you. I mean, there's a lot of times where you'll see uh, 
I hate to be super critical, but guys that probably aren't even close to being on that level um, spend a lot of time on you know the love that they get from social media or uh, the attention that they can attract and off their Twitter feed, but yet probably don't have near the the quality of product that is put on a football field. And when you see a guy that plays at the level that that he does, and you see that the priorities seem to be very much in in the right places, that football is is his passion, and it's not just something that he's been gifted with, that you know he's got these natural abilities, which he does, but he's also combining that work and desire to, to be the best that he can be, I think is, is really encouraging and exciting for us and kind of gives us that, uh, that comfort and that peace to know that, man, there are still some folks that don't get distracted by what's shiny and outside of the game. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. Let me just quickly follow up to say that I actually have a pretty high tolerance for recruiting theatrics. I like the show. I'm a professional wrestling fan. I, you know, when you make sort of a pro wrestling style recruiting type thing, I'm kind of here for that. It's often been called sort of a soap opera from, you know, you know, sort of a soap opera worth following. And I don't mind the twists and turns of all of that. And listen, I think that if you're a recruit, you go on campus somewhere, you should make them feed you well. You should get your cookie cake and all the stuff that's kind of always been famous. I want you to get all of that. But John, to go back to sort of the old head part of this, here is what I think you and I both could say maybe we've seen in the past, especially you having been a player. There are some recruits that like the idea of football more than they actually like football. And when you got a bunch of guys, you know, on a weekend over at Jefferson High School throwing a ball around and doing some drills and letting Riola kind of put them through the paces, those to me look like guys who actually like football not just the idea of football and kind of the fame that comes with being a well-known football player, but the actual grind of football, they seem to be somewhat attracted to that, which I think speaks very well for Georgia's future. Absolutely. And and that's really where it needs to remain, right? And where, you know, you, you can have, I think other players have proven, you can have those other aspects, the the social media presence, the NIL deals that are to come, and still key priorities. And um, what you're saying is, is, you know, you see from Rayola this past weekend is that he has that. He has that ability to, to keep that focus on keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's performing. And I think that's also one of the biggest attractants to other recruits is guys going, it's not just all show and puffery, that this guy is about, you know, some serious football and, and making all those around him better so uh it, it was a great weekend all the way around great or week with the with the commitment and then what we saw from him the immediate response from such a big commitment and um you know i think for all georgia fans it's been a, a really exciting time and, and it's always great to get something that's exciting in the middle of may because otherwise you're kind of in the doldrums of football all right last thing for you and this is a topic that kind of bubbled up a little bit last week you know, CBS Sports does this every year. We like lists because it gives us something to debate and talk about. It's always a lot of fun. And last week, they once again kind of retained Nick Saban as the top coach in college football with Kirby Smart at number two. Now, John, I realize you and me sitting here, the easiest thing in the world is for us to jump up and down about how Kirby Smart is the best coach in the sport because that's what obviously a lot of our audience would like to hear. But I'll be the first to tell you is that a year ago, on the basis of one national championship, I would have sat here on the show. In fact, I did sit here and say, too soon to make Kirby Smart the best coach right now. It takes more than that to topple someone like Nick Saban, who has won as much as he has. But now, John, it's not just one national championship anymore. It is two. And I realize that for now, Alabama is still a player on the scene, and Nick Saban is still a coach seemingly capable of producing another national championship. So the the momentum could swing back in Saban's favor eventually. I'm not going to say that it can't. But if you're taking a snapshot of this particular moment – I honestly don't know how you make a case for someone other than Kirby currently being college football's best coach, as good as Nick Saban has been, obviously, in the past. Where do you kind of come down on a debate like that? Yeah, I'm biased. I recognize that. I try to uh, take a 30,000-foot view from uh, an unbiased position and understand the argument of if you're looking at the total body of work uh, I think there are a few coaches at any level that have found the success that Nick Saban has, has been able 
able to generate uh, specifically in Alabama. And uh, he very much belongs in the discussion. But if you're talking about who is the best coach, who is running the best program today, right now in, in college football, that answer is pretty clear to me, and it's Kirby Smart. Um, I think you look at what's happened in recent years, and that's the business that we're in. It's what have you done for me lately? Georgia has the best program, and two national championships attest to that. You look at the, the players that are being put in the NFL. Both are great. And Alabama continues to put players in the NFL. But the rate at which uh, Georgia has, has done that in recent years has been unmatched historically. And you look at the recruits who's coming into the program. Both are at the top of the heap. But, you know, I, I think you start to give, if you're just doing a line item by line item checklist, you're going, this is a, this is a Kirby smart era that we are in right now. Nick Saban is still and, and should, will go down as arguably the, the best coach of his era. But, Today is a new day, and that day is a Kirby Smart one. John, it's always so much fun to have conversations like this with you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Love your inside. Appreciate your time, as always. Hope you have a, a great week, and we'll look forward to getting a chance to talk to you back here very soon again on uh, Dog Nation Daily uh, sometime very soon. Always enjoy it, B.A. Good Thanks goal. so much. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that's all really well said by John. And the point we made on Friday's show when we talked about this is, hey, it is entirely possible that if Kirby Smart is the best coach in college football right now, maybe sometime in the future that might not seem true again, right? Either because, hey, Nick Saban kind of rises up and gets another national championship. People who maybe voted for Kirby this time might be compelled to vote for Saban again. Or maybe some new coach emerges. I mean, at some point in time, you know, that's going to kind of happen. Maybe that's the case. But even if that does happen in the future, that doesn't make the current snapshot of the world which we're living in right now any less, you know, correct to say that right now Kirby Smart is the best. And I think that people have a tendency to kind of want to view conversations and debates like this as static or as said differently, kind of unchanging. That that once you have an opinion, you're not allowed to change your mind. <laughs> as someone who like takes these sort of like, you know, blowhardy hot take debates pretty seriously here's what i'll tell you when it comes to like so and so being the goat of anything coaching playing whatever else your opinion on goats should change very slowly the idea of someone being the greatest of all time that's the kind of debate that evolves over the course of time and if you've got a new goat every month or every year even you're doing something wrong no matter what thing we're talking about in sports your goats should change slowly but the greatest of any given moment there's no reason why that can't change pretty frequently. If you look at, you know, as I said before, list of the richest people in the world or, you know, all kinds of like tax bracket stuff. I mean, people are always like rising up and falling down and, and there's all kinds of, you know, movement and change within the scope of business and who's making money and who's doing what. These things are changing all the time. Businesses are going up. Businesses are going down. Markets are somewhat cyclical. Uh, that happens away from sports all the time. No reason to think it couldn't happen in sports there as well. And to sort of fail to acknowledge what the current story of the moment is, the fact that Kirby Smart, as a coach, has put a stranglehold on the sports, I think that's just an error. Just an error. It doesn't make him the GOAT. Nick Saban is the GOAT for the foreseeable future. But it is worth acknowledging right now of just how dominant a coach Kirby Smart has proven to be. And we'll see if Saban has any response for that with his team on the field here in 2023. Because in a lot of ways, it's a year like this where we actually kind of find out exactly how good of a coach Nick Saban really is. In the past... Nick Saban's kind of been sort of the CEO of a football machine. You know, the wheels have been operating, the system's been in place, and Saban just sort of sat back and enjoyed the fruits of all that. But now, you know, Saban's actually got to roll up his sleeves and do some actual coaching because it does not appear right now that they obviously have a starting quarterback. They're going to have to find one and develop one from a you know trio of guys that have had some pretty serious questions about it, each of them being asked for kind of different reasons. You know, two new coordinators. There's a lot going on for Alabama right now that the sort of football machine that Alabama once was is not exactly that anymore. But if Saban still is a coach that kind of has been revered as the greatest of all time, then putting his stamp on this season is going to be imperative, and we'll see if Alabama is able to do that. We'll also talk now about cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Got a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation myself coming up this summer. And, you know, for us, we're trying to coordinate that with my 
you know, my brother's family and my mom. And when you got that many people going on a cruise, it's like finding dates that work, not easy. So for us, it made the most sense of, well, let's just try to do the three night cruise. Cause once you get into like the four night or the seven night, that's more scheduled. They have to be kind of coordinated. Just one more thing to have to be considered. So we said for our family right now, taking sort of an extended family on this trip, it probably makes sense to, you know, leave out on a Friday, you know, get home on a Monday. That's the kind of easiest thing to plan for. And that's with Royal Caribbean, which you have a great option for. You know, you can drive down to Port Canaveral. That's what we're doing. Uh, some of you like kind of flying down to Fort Lauderdale or, or maybe Miami, somewhere like that. Or maybe you kind of live in a Florida spot where one of those uh, ports is more convenient for you. But it's a, a great collection of choices that you can make. Which port to go out of? Which itinerary do you want to pursue? Which length of cruise makes the most sense for you? Is it the 3-9? Is it the 4-9? Is it the 7-9? You know, have all kinds of great choices. But whatever choice you make, we truly believe a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is going to be an unforgettable experience for you and for those that you're traveling with. And so we've got a great travel agent, Jessica Slater, specifically selected for us by Royal Caribbean to help you with your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And when you talk to her, have her tell you about some of the really cool things going to be going on with Royal Caribbean in the very near future, including the debut of Icon of the Seas coming January 2024. Man, that is going to be a lot of fun. All right. So let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we'll start with some congratulations to the Georgia softball team. Winners of their NCAA regional in Athens over the weekend. Now moving on to get ready to take on Florida State coming up in a super regional. So best of luck to them there on that. Also, the Georgia baseball team uh, got a win against LSU this weekend, which preserves for them the opportunity to be in the upcoming SEC tournament. They play tomorrow morning, and they'll have to win there to kind of move into the double elimination phase of the uh, SEC baseball tournament. So we've kind of reached that time of year in which the spring sports sort of move to their postseason. I'll tell you, you know, I've been a college baseball fan for a while now. I know more about that than I do softball, admittedly. Um, I really love this time of year. And the one thing that I really wish is, is that ESPN, who kind of controls all of these NCAA sports, I wish they would put a bigger spotlight on SEC baseball. Softball, too, but admittedly, that's not a sport that I probably have known as much about, although I'm very happy to see UGA doing very well here. But baseball is a sport that I have known about. I mean, I'll tell you, I am very jealous that it, unless something you know really special happens over the course of the next few days, you know, Georgia does not appear that it's going to be in an NCAA regional and certainly would have to have a lot of things go its way to be a part of the super regional. But if you've ever been to an NCAA regional in baseball, if you've ever been to a super regional, which is two teams playing a best of three series, I'm just telling you right now, that's about as much fun as you can have. And if you love baseball, the intensity of college baseball in a postseason situation like that, to me, is just really unmatched. And what I wish is, is that ESPN would just put a bigger spotlight on some of this kind of stuff. We saw something very interesting happen this past year. ESPN went wall to wall with promotion of women's basketball and their efforts were greatly rewarded. The uh, tournament got terrific ratings. The uh, final four uh, got terrific ratings. And I even kind of noticed from my own social media that there were more people talking about women's basketball this year during March than I'd ever seen before ever. This was a real thing. This wasn't just one of those kind of inflated things that you sometimes see that you wonder how true it really is. I saw enough circumstantial evidence to lead me to believe, hey, this ratings bump was reflected in the actual conversation. People were paying attention to this. And the point that I made at the time is if ESPN wants to put this kind of promotional arm, you know, behind college women's college basketball and give this kind of attention to the sport, they could also do this for any other sport they chose to do it for. And I wish that college baseball could get a taste of this compared to what women's college basketball got this past March, because not only could baseball use it to let people know how, how much fun of a sport this is, but the sport itself could just use an extra boost, you know, for a long time, for instance, the you know, the SEC has been fighting to add an extra assistant coach and the rest of the NCAA that kind of votes down anything that it requires spending more money. They always vote this down. And we obviously know the challenge that a lot of college baseball players deal with related to the small number of scholarships available that most college baseball players are only play, you know, kind of playing on a portion of a scholarship because of the way in which funds are sort of allocated there for baseball. That's just the reality of that sport. And yet those of us who watch the sport and, you know, to the SEC Network's credit, especially with the streaming packages, a lot more SEC baseball is now available on television than it's ever been in, you know, in the past. But I truly believe that SEC baseball or NCAA baseball postseason is really a special thing. And it doesn't get big eyeballs, doesn't get big views, because it doesn't get very much in the way of promotion. 
But when the when ESPN decided to go all in promoting women's basketball this past March, it was greatly rewarded for having done so. And if they chose to do even a portion of that for baseball, I think that sport would also be rewarded with a lot more attention there as well. Uh, I don't know that ESPN is going to do it. I think it's sort of a shame that it won't. But if it did, I think a lot of folks would benefit from becoming more acquainted with the sport this time of year, which is really very fun. So best of luck to both the softball team and the Diamond Dogs as they move towards their postseason play. One of the things we're going to talk about a little bit here over the course of the next couple of days is the Athlon Sports College Football Preview magazine is on newsstands. Now, a lot of you know, I think John Way called me a little bit of an old head earlier, which I'm probably guilty of. One of my most old-headed tendencies is, even in this day and age in which we live right now, I have always loved the preseason college football magazines. And this Memorial Day kind of week, this sort of late May time of year, is when most of these magazines sort of hit the newsstands. Eventually, we'll get Phil Steele. That's kind of probably the most famous magazine. It'll, it'll come out usually in July. But let me tell you what kind of made me a little bit sad this year. And maybe your experience is different than mine, but I went to a few different places. The only magazine that I saw this year was the Athlon. Um, we haven't had Street and Smith's preview magazine for a couple of years now. Uh, I haven't seen Lindy's anywhere. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I've just missed it. And if the folks from Lindy's are... Uh, are you know hearing this maybe they'll give us an update on that but I went to three different newsstands have not seen Lindy's yet we haven't had Street Smith's in a couple of years so when it comes to the traditional kind of flurry of preseason magazines that come out this time of year the only one I've seen thus far is Athlon and I haven't seen it used to be that Athlon kind of had its SEC magazine and its national magazine and in three different places it was the national magazine that's the only one that I've seen so maybe that just sort of flex the newsstands that I've been to but I have gone to a couple different places here just to sort of see what was out there and the only one that I've seen is the Athlon national magazine but the point is is it is out and it always creates pretty good fodder for conversation and one of the things they have is their preseason all-american team and I wanted to highlight a couple things here as it relates to the SEC, first of all, Quinshawn Judkins running back kind of makes this for Ole Miss. Uh, obviously, this is a team last year in Ole Miss that ran the ball pretty well. And one of the things we sort of expected was the quarterback competition there to maybe result in a new starter. I don't know that Jackson Dart had a very good year this past season. Looks like Dart may hold on to th- that, that job and eventually be the starting quarterback, maybe there for Ole Miss. This is obviously a team that Georgia plays. And, you know, under Lane Kiffin, the one thing that Ole Miss is kind of proven to do is actually be a pretty good rushing team. And uh, Judkins is a name worth knowing as you start thinking about late season, Georgia against the Rebels. Brock Bowers is on here there too. Uh, obviously, you would expect that. And I think the conversation around Bowers, we're also going to do some of this over the course of the next few days there as well, is simply trying to determine just how how successful can he be? Exactly how high is the limit on Bowers for this upcoming season we would believe that he's already a historic figure in Georgia football I think he's one of the more one of the four most significant players to ever play for this program already uh but obviously with the third year which we think will be his final year he could really put himself in a truly rare category uh and uh, we're going to talk more about exactly what that means but already kind of getting that attention as uh first team all-american tied in you would expect that to be the case and it certainly is. And then another name we've mentioned in this space a couple times here recently, that's J.C. Latham, the offensive lineman from Alabama. I think that Latham probably stands as one of the most important players in all of college football because it is legitimately true that the Alabama quarterback situation totally unsettled right now. Trying to figure out what's going on at running back, maybe that's just Justice Haynes stepping on the field and quickly ascending into uh, an important starring role there. Maybe that's the case, but that's still a little bit of an unknown commodity because he's only a freshman. A guy like Latham, who seems to be a well-established, very successful, future high NFL draft pick, a guy like that building the offense around him, I believe is just going to be crucial for Alabama. And any hope that Saban has to once again kind of be validated as the best coach in college football or Alabama demonstrating itself to still be a legitimate national championship contender, Latham is such an important catalyst for all of that. So he's a preseason first-team All-American courtesy of our friends at Athlon and a name worth paying attention to. Javon Dumas-Johnson gets the nod first-team defense here by Athlon. You know, we'll see how healthy Smile Mondin turns out to be at the beginning of the year. It sounds like he's still you know, kind of in the midst of a little bit of an injury recovery situation right now. But I don't see any reason why Mondin can't be every bit as good as JDJ. Harold Perkins-Mellishu comes up here on this. 
some of the stuff we heard about Perkins this spring was a little bit interesting. Uh, apparently, they were doing some stuff with him at inside linebacker. You know, this is a guy last year. Go back and watch the Arkansas game. He wreaked havoc uh, in kind of a one-man wrecking crew type situation uh, for LSU there in that spot as kind of an edge rusher. But I don't know, based on the spring, unless this was all just sort of tinkering and kind of you know something to do for the moment, I don't know if that's the, necessarily the full plans for how they are preparing to use Perkins here this year so obviously Perkins is a name worth knowing and a name that most people do know after his freshman season from a year ago but be on guard for LSU potentially using him this year a little bit different than you might think uh that's worth uh, considering Kool-Aid McKinstry is on here I don't know how you view McKinstry as anything other than overrated to be completely honest with you I'm not saying he's a bad football player but the level of attention he gets compared to what I think I see him doing on the field. A little bit of a disconnect there on that. Nice to see Malachi Starks getting some attention uh, there. You know, Georgia always seems to have that great safety. You know, we call Georgia linebacker U or tight end U, whatever you want to call them. But they're pretty darn close to being safety U there as well. And maybe Javon Bullard's one of those guys maybe moving to safety this year. But obviously, I think for a guy last year who was on the field a lot for Georgia, there is a lot to like about Malachi Starks. Nice to see him getting some preseason attention there, too. And we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. As we wrap up today, a golden shoe submission from one of our own, our producer Michael Carvel, showing this off to us. Tatum Rambo, whose parents played soccer and football at UGA, obviously uh, George family member Bakari Rambo. So this is Michael's team. His uh, daughter's a part of this team. She hits a three-run walk-off home run, the AU Championship game of the Alpharetta Youth Softball Association. Hashtag golden shoe there on that. So we'll give a golden shoe out to uh, Michael's team and all the players there as a part of that. And uh, also uh, just everybody this time of year who's kind of participating in the kind of the conclusion of that youth sports season. I mentioned before, we're kind of moving into championship time for college sports and you know kind of moving into that as well for a lot of y'all with your softball teams, your t-ball teams, your baseball teams, and I just love that. I, I love being at the ballpark. I love uh, all the parents who get a chance to be a part of that with their kids. Really special memories being made all over the place. So golden shoes going all the way around on that. Lousy, stinking Gators, though, they have no memories to enjoy. All they have is a sense of dread about what's going to take place 159 days from now. That is our Gatorator countdown. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.